Dueling Genre Productions presents. Oh my god, do you see that? When a freak accident strikes McKinney City, ordinary citizens are given amazing abilities. I can move things with my mind. Oh my god, I'm flying. I can fly. I can teleport and I can fly. Super senses. What, like Daredevil? We are just playing fast and loose with this whole science thing today, aren't we? Now, there are villains. Billy, when you have an arch nemesis, do you just kill them immediately? No. You tie the ropes just loose enough so that they can keep escaping. That way, when you finally do win the day, you can sleep well knowing that you rose to the challenge. Your brain works differently than other people's, doesn't it? And heroes. Leah Markowitz, Gwendolyn Allen, Jeffrey Gibson, Mindy Gibson, Simon Holt, Splendid, you're all here. I'm going to make you all into superheroes. Screw it. Let's go save the day. The Powerful. After I drain everyone here, McKinney City will be mine. I'm going to show this whole city what real passion truly is. And the underdogs. You're all imagining me as a singing, dancing chipmunk right now, aren't you? The people in that store need help, and we can help them in a way no one else can. We have great power, which means they're our responsibility. I mean, Jesus, what's the point of having five freaking Spider-Man movies if we can't even learn to do that? Geek by Night, an original podcast series about five friends running a comic book store with superpowers. You're really going to keep running a comic book shop while trying to be superheroes? It might not always be easy, but I think the world could use a few more underdogs. Available at DuelingGenre.com and podcast apps everywhere. Dueling Genre And welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Todd Mack. And I'm Joe Dorowski. And this week we're discussing Benjamin Franklin Gates from the film National Treasure. And to help us in our discussion, we're joined by special guest Ben Phillips. Welcome, Ben. Hi, nice to be here. I figured we're talking about a Ben. We should probably have a Ben on. Honestly, I changed my name just for this podcast. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually <laughs> it's actually that. Franklin Benjamin. <laughs> Phillips. Yeah, well, Phillips, Phillips remains the same. Uh yeah, you, you hold on to that. You don't got want it. to disperse the family legacy. You gotta, that, that, that's vital. Uh, I know Ben from graduate school. Yes, exactly. Uh, ben and I were in a, the American Studies program at Michigan State together. And Ben, I believe, if this is correct, you are the last American Studies PhD ever produced by Michigan State. Is that correct? Uh, it, I was the last one who was accepted and stayed in the program. There may have been okay. people who earned their degrees after me. Who were there before me, but I was the last one accepted, right. and then they said, "Oh, this was a mistake," and they closed the program. <laughs> or, or it's never going to be better than this. We're going. Aww, well, that, that, yeah. that could be it too. <laughs> yeah, the Michigan State American Studies program got folded into the English department while we were in grad school. It was a special time to try and because bureaucracies always run smoothly, and especially when you throw everything against the wall at a giant state yeah. school. Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. <laughs> Especially whenever I turned down another program to go to Michigan State because I felt that Michigan State was more stable. As we said, we are talking about National Treasure. This film was released in 2004. It was written by Jim Koff, Cormac Wibberly, and Marianne Wibberly. It was directed by John Trippeltub, and it stars Nicholas Cage as Benjamin Franklin Gates, Diane Kruger as Abigail Chase, Justin Bartha as Riley Poole, Sean Bean as Ian Howe, 
and John Voigt as Patrick Henry Gates. It tells the story of good treasure hunters racing against evil treasure hunters to find a fantastic <laughs> treasure that was hidden hidden by America's founding fathers. And those founding fathers left clues in historic documents and landmarks. Oh, and Freemason, Freemasons are involved because, of course, they are. Of course they are. Yeah. So, uh, gentlemen, how did you first come to the film National Treasure? I guess I left that open-ended for either of you, which is awkward in a podcast form when we catch each other. <laughs> and whatever you can say, I've got this. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll say I, I have no memory of the first time I saw this film. I think I saw it in the theater, which would be rare for me because I don't go to the movies very often. Um, but I think I saw it in the theater. Uh, but it's one that we have enjoyed as a family and watched many times. What about you, Ben? Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw it on a first date. Uh, when I was in college as well, because, you know, it's a very romantic movie. Um, I was a history major there, at the time. And this potent love story. Yeah, it, this, it's very historically accurate. So it helped with my major, too. <laughs> Gave you a lot of talking points for your for your degree. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think I saw this one in the theater, but my parents love this movie. And so I'm sure I watched it on DVD at their house at some point <laughs> uh, when I was there. And my parents are both uh, historians and documentary editors. They deal with historical documents. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's why uh, they love they love this film because it so accurately portrays their profession. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's, it's I think it's worth noting. Producer Andrew, jump again. Our parents met at a historical site for American history. They met at the Jamestown site. Oh, did they really? Yeah. So they are they are deep in the American history. And my mom. Stuff. My mom was at the Jamestown site visiting when she met my dad, who was working there. But she was working at Williamsburg at the time. If not at the time, or did your point, yeah, did your father try to steal like, Jamestown? No, no. But he did. He did tell stories that they needed to look busy, so they were they were like instructed to dig a well somewhere over there. Sometimes, <laughs> oh my gosh! It's like, it's like we want the site to look busy and and you know things that they might have been doing. So go like dig a well over there. Like, oh my gosh! So they just started digging a hole. So I have to ask this. So you mentioned that your parents love this movie, and then you sarcastically said because it so accurately represents their profession. But I feel like they can you say why they genuinely they, like, like this they film? Really because enjoy watching this movie. I can imagine somebody in your parents' shoes despising this film. Well, I know they like the moment. Uh, spoiler: There is a moment where uh, they have to choose save a life. Well, definitely hold on to someone to save a life, or save the Declaration of Independence. And they save the Declaration of Independence, and they both said that was the right choice. <laughs> save the Declaration of Independence. Uh, but no, I don't. Yeah, like does an archaeologist, like a, a real world archaeologist, enjoy Indiana Jones? I don't know. Or can they just turn off and have fun? I mean, it is a fun movie. You, you can't die. It's just you know. A family adventure film is what this was set out sure. to be. And I think it's a pretty good example of that genre of filmmaking. Yeah. And they enjoy that genre. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they really like it. To the tune of, of three or four times a year for family movie <laughs> night, we watched it while I was still a teenager. <laughs> and I was like, I've seen this movie a bit. <laughs> it's it's in you know the frequent rotation, the top of the pile rotation. Uh, and I yeah, they just always... Like, Let's watch National Treasure. Yeah. All right. And I will also say, though, you guys have seen West Wing. Todd, I know you have. Yes. This is the yeah. first uh, thing mm -hmm. we talked about in this podcast ever was West Wing. You know President Bartlett, how he will, like, just all of a sudden, a bit of trivia from the conversation is sparked in his mind, and he has no choice but to share that trivia? Sure. Yes. That is my father. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, and this film offers many opportunities to tell the correct story of history or just add a little bit of insight into uh-huh. some historical objects. So I think that may be another, another, another aspect that they enjoy. Because it, it's absurd. This film has so many absurd points, but they also do have some accurate historical places they visit and accurate... Uh, <laughs> so, yes, they so, do visit some places so. that are, are actually real. Yeah. Even so. if the distances between those places are questionable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is no traffic on the East Coast in this film. <laughs> and even if the names and dates aren't um, always correct. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I was wondering if maybe the reason that somebody that is really into history, like your parents, um, could enjoy this film is because even though there is... Um, they play fast and loose with facts and <laughs> methods of handling and history <laughs> and history. Um, they're also even at the same time, and this may this may seem contradictory, but there also seems to be kind of an earnestness, for sure, or like a reverence associated with with history and U.S. history in and this film. And the value film. of knowing and the sure. value of knowing these things and the value of certain artifacts. And I wonder if that maybe plays into why. Uh, even though uh, at face value, it's it's pretty laughable. Um, there's something kind of underneath it. And they, they mention over and over again, people don't talk like that anymore, or people don't care about these things in the way that they used yeah. to. And I wonder if that maybe has something to do with it, or maybe I'm just reading into more into this. You know, uh, it's almost like a love story to American history, where there might not be any chemistry between Benjamin Franklin Gates and Abigail Chase, but there's definitely chemistry between I'll Benjamin you, Franklin I'll Gates. Ben no, no. There's definitely chemistry between Benjamin Franklin Gates and American history. <laughs> I yeah. always kind of wish that there was chemistry between me and Abigail Chase. <laughs> 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 but, I mean, we'll get into some of the absurdities of this, but at the same time, like they, they took this, these like data points of interesting places and moments in American history. And then they, laid over this really absurd plot. Sure. And I think there's some, there's an element of fun that the more knowledge you already have going in, you can enjoy those nods to mm-hmm. the actual, you know, dates and history and those, those things. I feel like we haven't even mentioned what this film is. <laughs> oh, you did. You yeah. did do your brief synopsis, Wait, didn't yeah, you? The brief synopsis. Good treasure hunters versus bad treasure hunters. So, so what you've just reminded me, Joseph, is they could have really taken this and capitalized on an existing franchise and made this a Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego Ooh. film. Because that's what that was all about, was these historical artifacts and locations, and the more knowledge you have, the easier it is to to continue on through the journey or or pursue the, the bad guys who are doing does the same such, thing you does are. Does such a thing exist? Is there a Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego movie? I don't think no, so. but I wish. This, but this movie... <laughs> there was just the show. I was the cartoon show. This movie that would be so much better. Oh, yeah. This movie would be so much better with Rockapella. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no doubt about that. Do it, Rockefeller. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, so some trivia about National Treasure. John Turtletob said that usually in a treasure hunt movie, the story is how do you get to the treasure. For this film, he wanted to kind of reverse it and say, how do you get to the map? <laughs> and uh, I, I think he kind of hit that mark, but at the same time, the map kind of becomes then the treasure itself. Sure. So, well, and then in the end, they find yeah. the treasure. Yeah, you still do get to the treasure. <laughs> right. Uh, the film has a 44% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and on Rotten Tomatoes, they always do like a kind of consensus statement of what the critics seem to be saying about the film, and their consensus statement was, uh, quote, National treasure is no treasure, but it's a fun ride for those who can forgive its highly improbable, improbable plot. Fair. <laughs> 44% is 
three percent lower than the Power Rangers film oh. from this summer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I've not seen I, it. I'm guessing it would be. I haven't seen it, but I would guess that I would enjoy that less than yeah. National Treasure. Yeah, I, I think um, it doesn't have the saving grace of there being a forgiving portion of audience, and maybe the critics just weren't that forgiving portion for yeah, National Treasure. Possibly. Yeah. yeah, because even though it was only 40% on Rotten Tomatoes, it did make $185 million in the U.S., and it had a global box office of $358 million, and that was good enough for a sequel called National Treasure Book of Secrets that was released in 2007. And Disney has registered domain names for a National Treasure 3 and 4. And I've heard at some point that writers were hired to work on it, but there's no active production. Maybe some writers work on this. And at this point, we're a decade past the sequel. But Hollywood loves to revive a franchise, so I am not writing off the possibility. <laughs> Is there a way that The Rock could make it in? Oh. There's always a way for The Rock to enter the third chapter of a franchise. The, the Power Rangers movie made about $100 million less. Wow. <laughs> Just uh, in case anybody's wondering. Um, and uh, if you've seen the film, you know the film uses many historic sites, and they actually did film on location at as many as possible. They were at the National Archives, the Lincoln Memorial, Independence Hall, etc. They, when they could, they were there. Um, they didn't film at the actual um, catacombs underneath New York City that extend forever. <laughs> Why? Why, Joe? That that involved a lot of green screen. Only oh. because they the the people at Trinity Church would not allow them to break holes in the walls to get to it. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Through the graves. <laughs> <laughs> if they could have, they totally would have been there. Uh, in the spirit of this film, which has real facts and then just these absurdities, I thought we could make up some trivia about National Treasure. I was going to throw out that they used the actual scrolls from the Lost Library of Alexandria as a prop when she looks at a pair of scrolls and immediately identifies them as scrolls from the Lost Library of Alexandria. They just used those real things. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else have any fake trivia you want to throw out for, uh, uh, for National Treasure? I was going to say that uh, Diane Kruger's, um, Nicholas Cage's, act- her actual father, and that uh, he's a Freemason. Wait. <laughs> I didn't follow that picture of you at all. I got lost. Well, Nicolas Cage is considerably older than Diane Kruger in <laughs> <Yes>. this film. <laughs> and uh, one might say he could be her father. <laughs> I'm saying he actually is her father. And he's a Freemason, just because why not? Because we're making up trivia. Yeah. Right. Ben, do you have anything you want to uh, talk I, about? I actually uh, wrote some down when you suggested this. Uh, and it's kind of in the style of Andy Zaltzman from The Bugle that I introduced you to. Yes, yes. Please hit us with some absurdity. So we've got uh, Nicolas Cage was originally cast as Abigail Chase, but owing to the success he had seen Eddie Murphy achieve in 96 and 2000 with the Nutty Professor franchise, he wanted to play every role in the movie. However, after a particularly disastrous screen test with himself, he was given the role of Benjamin Franklin Gates. Uh... Uh, another one is that uh, the, Declar- the Declaration of Independence was not signed by all parties on July 4th. That is true. Uh, rather, only John Hancock and the secretary signed it on that day. The actual signing had to be postponed until August. Uh, here's where it maybe gets some a little bit muddy. After Benjamin Franklin lost his writing hand in a Continental Congress cricket match, it took him another month to teach himself to write with a replacement appendage, which was a, deta- a detachable bear paw. <laughs> This led to the phrase barehanded and much confusion over the true meaning of the Second Amendment, 
As his fellow lawmakers often asked him to leave the bear paw at home with him, Franklin insisted that his right to bear arms shall not be infringed. I'm sorry, and you're welcome. Okay. I mean, that gets a slow Uh... I, there so many I had another I one. The that, joke was done. I had. It was so much more. It was so much <laughs> that was amazing. Thank you, uh, and I'm sorry. That is oh one of my favorite gosh. moments in 133 episodes of the production. <laughs> <podcast. laughs> right to bear arms. <laughs> he was pretty adamant about it. Um, I had. Uh, a, <laughs> I need that to sink in for I'm a minute. I'm sorry. I have a couple more. Um, this one is actually from my wife. Uh, when I told her what I was doing, she said, uh, "So this one is from her." Seeing this role as another Oscar opportunity, and that's right, he was nominated for an Oscar, Nicolas Cage took a page out of Daniel Day-Lewis's book and literally stole the Declaration of Independence. The ensuing federal prison sentence delayed production of the film for five years. <laughs> and then I, then I had one more that uh, if you stay after and watch the, uh, the scene after the end credits, Sean Bean is killed by orcs. <laughs> oh, that's sad. That makes me sad. I'm sorry. I think Sean Bean has been in that he didn't die. Okay, I'm just gonna go ahead and say under the po- so in our script we always write possible discussion topics, and I said as one of our possible dis- discussion topics is the biggest twist in this film filled with twists that Sean Bean is alive at the end. <laughs> that the most shocking of events. <laughs> Hollywood loves to kill Sean Bean. Oh man, he is really it makes good. money. Um, I I contrived it. I contrived a fake piece of trivia based on a little bit of conversation we were having with Todd before we started recording. <laughs> For the filming, they actually moved the Reading Station market several blocks closer to Independence Hall <laughs> to facilitate the chase scene. <laughs> and then moved it back at the end. They moved the it back at the end, yep. yeah. <sighs> Few people know that, that Philadelphia is actually wow. on like movable blocks that can just be rotated around. <laughs> Can it, can it also be moved closer to New York City and Boston? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Having grown up in Pennsylvania, that's that's just a legitimate fact. Washington, yeah. yeah, all these cities seem to be a short jog apart from each other in this film. Like the majority of the film takes place in a day, like a, a night and a day. Yeah, like a night. Ooh, I did not even try and work out the time. Well, the the the, the, the stealing of the declaration happens in the uh, evening yeah. and then the next day they're in philadelphia right which yeah. is which is reasonable yeah. to travel through the, the night but that same day i think they make it to new york they do make it back and to Sean new york Bean the same gets day. to boston i will say that's true right. he does get to boston i will say though that like having like i said i grew up in central pennsylvania it's doable we were about four hours from dc and three and a half from philly and about four and a half from new york so they're not super far from one another that's right i'm defending the movie now yeah i guess it is yes <laughs> but See, like it's daytime during most yeah. of these scenes yes it's nighttime when they get to boston and it's like late afternoon when they're when they get to trinity church so yeah. they do enter bottomless pit and ascend it in that time though <laughs> yeah and, yeah, they do. And I'm not sure how long they took to plan the heist. Yeah. Oh, I think that well, was a couple We can assume that that takes some time. Yeah. Yeah, at least. Oh, I was going to say 20 minutes tops. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> steal the declaration. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't fancy. I mean, we, we saw the film. It was like five minutes of screen time, right? <laughs> yeah, but Joe, they had to go to the National right. Archives and look up the exact plans of how to steal it, which were there. Yes. <laughs> 
all of the information about how yeah. it is kept. Uh, yeah. I will say, um, Jerry Bruckheimer was a producer on this film, and in that brief special feature, I saw him say that we weren't sure how you'd go about stealing this, so we talked to some people on our side who have experienced stealing objects, <laughs> or defending the stealing <laughs> of objects, about how one might go about this, and they gave us some pointers. How... <laughs> So and, and then they changed the system. Yeah, and then they changed the system. That was his claim. I don't know how many pointers he got. He never got into specifics as to what they were doing. Wow. All right. Well, gentlemen, I think it's time for a full synopsis. I'm ready. All right. I will say, kind of like um, a musical, when we've talked about writing the synopses for musicals, it's often easier because you just kind of say, and then there's a musical number. For this one, I got to often just say, and then they figure something out. <laughs> and we carry on. <laughs> or there's a chase. <laughs> yeah. So it was not as long a summary as some others that we've tackled. All right, so national treasure Benjamin Franklin Gates comes from a long family line of historians and cryptologists uh, who are code crackers, though his father is a bit disillusioned with the family tradition. His grandfather told him about a lost treasure, and the only clue they have to its location is The Secret Lies with Charlotte, which is ambiguous. Uh, years later, Benjamin Gates is on an expedition funded by Ian Howe. And this is Sean Bean, who we've mentioned a couple of times. And they're trying to find a ship that is lost in the Arctic, and the ship is named Charlotte. Ian Howe has a bunch of nameless, intimidating goons with him, while Benjamin only has his friend, the nerdy Riley Poole, helping him. They find the Charlotte, and inside it, they discover another clue, a pipe, which leads them to believe the Declaration of Independence has a next clue. I'm not going to explain how all these clues lead to the next. I'm just saying it happens, everyone. Uh, <laughs> sure. So, no clue... It seems what they're figuring out is no clue is really going to lead them directly to this treasure. It's just going to be a series of one clue to the next clue. Ian thinks, oh, well, we need to go steal the Declaration of Independence. Ben says, no, you can't just go steal the Declaration of Independence. And before you know it, the Charlotte, which was full of gunpowder, explodes. Uh, and Ian and his goons think that Ben and Riley died in the explosion, and they just ride off. Though they do leave one necessary uh, transport for... No, they walk. Oh, they walk. They walk. Yeah, they, they say they're going to walk to a village. To a village right. where there's bush pile. I forgot anyway, about that. Right. Okay. Yes. That was conveniently located nearby in the shifting that they, ice. That they knew about. <laughs> the Arctic. Uh, ben and Riley try, they go to D.C., and they try to warn authorities that the Declaration of Independence is going to be stolen, but nobody believes them. Eventually, they meet with Dr. Abigail Chase, a stunning young Ph.D. who has some vague role at the National Archives, uh, but she does not believe them either. So Ben and Riley decide, you know what, we have no choice, we have to steal it first. We get the classic heist prep montage of gadgets being prepared I and love plans that. being laid out. Always good. Always worthwhile. That's so good. The night of a gala at the National Archives arrives, and Ben goes and does steal the Declaration of Independence, staying just a step ahead of Ian Howe's much better equipped gang. Uh, but Abigail realizes what he's done and chases after him, and she now gets swept up into the adventure. The FBI notices the Declaration of Independence has been stolen. And they begin to look into this. Uh, <laughs> the FBI notices. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Ben uh, and uh, Riley and now Abigail, those three, they go to Ben's father's house and they have the Declaration of Independence with them. Uh, and he's just kind of dismissive, like, what, you know, harebrained scheme are you on to try and solve the family mystery? This is this is just all nonsense. And he sees the guy with old piece of paper he's like, oh, that looks pretty old. And like, yeah, they're just being kind of squirrely about what it is that they actually have. <laughs> Uh, and eventually they discover on the back of the Declaration of Independence that a cipher was written in invisible ink. 
and they realize that the cipher refers to Benjamin Franklin's Simon Duguid letters. So they have to find those letters to solve the cipher and find out what this clue is. Silence, uh, Duguid. Oh, sorry, Silence, yeah. Simon. I apologize. Silence, Duguid. I think just, I just think, Silence. Just think Doctor Who. Yes. <laughs> the Silence. Uh, and then I think autocorrect didn't think that was a name, so it changed it to Simon for me. <laughs> That's what happened there. <laughs> Uh, and that points them, so, so they get, solve the cipher with the silence, do good letters, and that points them to Independence Hall. Ian Howe, however, is still following their every move. At, uh, Liberty Hall, there's some adventuring, uh, Ben, Riley, and Abigail discover a special pair of glasses that were invented by Benjamin Franklin, not just bifocals. These are different glasses invented by Benjamin Franklin <laughs> that have all sorts of different colored lenses that you can drop down, and when they look at the back of the Declaration of Independence, and with these glasses, a new clue is revealed, a clue that leads them to believe that they need to now go to Trinity Church in New York City. Uh, but then there's a chase involving Ian and the FBI. Uh, ben is captured by the FBI. Ian gets hands on, on the declaration and Abigail and Riley. Uh, Abigail says to Ian, though, you know what? To solve this, we really need Ben. So you have to help us break Ben out of the FBI, which Ian <laughs> then does. So now we have Ian... Uh, and Abigail and Riley and the Declaration of Independence and Ben all together. Uh, and But Ian doesn't trust that Ben is actually going to help him, so Ian has kidnapped Ben's father. Uh, so now everyone but the FBI are traveling to Trinity Church. There they find an underground set of catacombs that lead to a bottomless pit just sitting there under New York City. No one has ever known about this. After a series of close calls descending rickety wooden stairs and this wooden... Uh, <laughs> I really like thing. that scene. Yeah, it, it's... it's the action is, it felt Indiana Jonesian. Yeah, as far as, uh, like, I feel like a lot of films try to do this in the third act where it's similar to the, um, it, it, is it in the Clone Wars, the C-3PO going through the, going, going through the factory? It just feels like, exactly a, video game. Game. It it just feels like, like a video game. game. Yeah. And, uh, this actually yeah. felt like it was a real thing with some real stakes. I liked it. Well, I wouldn't say real thing, but <laughs> you felt the stakes of they, okay, had, yeah, they had real pieces of wood. <laughs> there were real pieces of wood, yeah. It yeah. Was so, so there was something tactile to Yeah, it. <laughs> I liked it. Uh, where was I? Uh, bottomless pit in New York City. Let's see, they descend it. Uh, but then uh, they reach the bottom of this, well, the side bottom of this bottomless pit, this little cavern. Uh, but they say it's a dead end. Ian looks at Ben and says, you, there's a clue here. Where do we need to go next? And Ben says, no, this is it. There's nothing more. The, the, this is the end of the line. Uh, and then uh, Ian threatens them. And then Ian, uh, Ben's dad says, oh, you know what? There's a lantern hanging here. It's one lantern. It, it means you got to go to Old North, Old North Church where Paul Revere hung a lantern. And Ian leaves. Or he, Someone else hung a lantern to signal Paul Revere. There's so much wrong with this sequence. (laughs) (laughs) With with that part about Paul Revere and the lantern. Does he actually say that Paul Revere hung the lantern? Is that what he says? No. It's a mess. I don't remember. (laughs) I think they had the wrong... I think they were doing the the wrong number of lanterns for which is which, too. Yes, but but they they actually call that uh, out. That part was intentional, just who hung it. Yeah. Uh, but Ian leaves him there, says, like, okay, I'm going to Old North Church. If I need any more help, I'm going to know where to find you. And he leaves, and our sly heroes have tricked him, and they wait a full ten seconds for him to <laughs> leave the scene before they turn and open another secret door that leads them into another chamber. But this chamber is also empty, and now they worry that the treasure was moved sometime 300 years ago, and there's really nothing here. But Wait! Remember the pipe from the Charlotte. There's a notch in the wall that is just the size of that pipe. And when they put in that pipe, 
it opens another secret door, and this one reveals the actual treasure, and it is massive. Uh, just, just so much stuff yes. is, is sitting here. Uh, and it does have one of my favorite moments when uh, Abigail Chase walks up to a pile of scrolls and immediately identifies them as yes. from <laughs> the Lost Library of Alexander. How does she know? She doesn't even unfurl one. She just no. looks at the side of it. It's, oh, a, it's a bunch of scrolls. But let's... It must be those scrolls. Maybe the let's also not had cataloged that... it accurately. <laughs> like, there was a clear label. Yeah, on, that, on, on, that on, totally on. could have been it. <laughs> Let's also not forget that she have, she finds these these scrolls like thousands of years old, and immediately he's like, "I'm gonna light this strange flame thing beside it." Yes, and also she picks them up with her hands, right? Yeah, then. she she just touches. <laughs> yeah. Let, me, yeah. let me look at that. Yeah, she doesn't unfurl it like that, but she does pick it up. Well, he smells the stuff first to make sure that it's actually gonna be <laughs> extremely flammable <laughs> before yeah, yeah. he dips his There's- torch in. There's a room-wide trough of some sort of, apparently not liquid, or else it wouldn't be a trough that could descend yeah. down the stairs with them. Some sort of solid. You know, maybe maybe it's Greek fire that's it's been not? lost. No, it's a, it's a liquid. It can't be a liquid, though, because it's a trough that leads down the Is this stairs, really the point we're going to get hung up on, guys? And then it fills in more troughs. So if it were a liquid, it would have just flowed down. Well, maybe there's a, maybe Benjamin Franklin made a system. So oh, that it no. Guys, did we just find a hole in this years. movie? No, no. Did we just we find a hole in because... the plot? I think we did. <laughs> no, it's not a hole because Benjamin Franklin, I fixed the hole. Benjamin Franklin invented the motorized pump with a power supply that would perpetually last 200 years. Also, like besides That's lighting true, yeah. this section of the scrolls, everything that they just descended was wood. <laughs> and this entire structure seems to be lined with 300 year old dry wood. But they just very freely. Well, and don't forget that the subway shakes it, it like every so 10 cool. minutes. <laughs> yes. And it looks awesome. Um, it does. It so really they does. Find, they find the treasure, uh, and then there's another set of stairs that lead out of the secret room, and that le- leads them out of a different grave. So they enter through one grave marker in the Trinity Church. They break out of another one. So if they just checked all of the grave markers, they could have just they made it right in. the set of stairs that led directly yeah. to the treasure room, but instead no... of the rickety downward tunnel spiraling wood beams. Just real quick, I, I, something just triggered in my head. If you it, suppose the founding fathers had labeled those as the the scrolls from Alexandria, do you label them as the not lost scrolls of Alexandria or the lost <laughs> or found? scrolls of Alexandria? Yeah. These, These are the found, found scrolls, scrolls of Alexandria. Okay. I'm I'm sorry I'm sorry to interrupt uh, the the uh, plot summary, but this entire Act Three is so Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yes. With, oh yeah. With oh, yeah. the father being kidnapped, and with the blonde woman who has an Austrian slash German accent, and is like, <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. Like, like, yeah, where 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 it's like Indy, it's it's yours, yours and mine with the Grail, and like the father who his entire life was trying to find the Grail, and then his son finds it, and and, then, and the and falling, then a, the falling, and the friend. reaching, and holding the hands, falling into the yes. pit. Oh, I yep. hadn't even thought of this. They have yep. an extra friend who's not terribly useful. That could be Sala or Brody. <laughs> Sala. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Wow. He's a, he's a combination. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's a composite character. The screenwriter said we can't have both of them. People would notice. <laughs> uh, real quick about the Sorry, accent. continue. Is, I haven't seen Diane Kruger in anything else. Does she always have, like, where is she? is German. German. She's, yeah. she's German. So yeah. So they just threw that line in to explain her accent. Yes. Which, which isn't that. Yeah, the Pennsylvania Dutch line. Well, 
But he says, oh, uh, Pennsylvania Dutch. And then she says. Saxony German. Yeah, she says, I'm actually German. And, 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 and he and says, oh, you're German. And, he, and she says, says, I'm American. He's like, you're not American? He's like, I am American. I just wasn't born here. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to guess all of that dialogue <laughs> was not in the original script. That was post-casting dialogue that got that Probably. name. <laughs> they had not yeah, written the character. Because we originally Nicholas Cage was Abigail Chase. Yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's a very... Yes, because originally <laughs> Nicolas Cage was having a chance. Like, it's a pretty slight accent. Yeah. They could have gotten away with mentioning it mm-hmm. at all. I don't think anyone... I don't think anyone would have called out the film for saying... He's like, oh, she had a bit of an accent. I feel like there's an issue here. Uh, <laughs> there were bigger issues that were left in. I'm going to say I totally noticed her accent, but um, I paid careful attention to <laughs> Diane Kruger in this film. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, they they escape uh, from the uh, treasure room. They contact the FBI. Ian Howe gets arrested. Our heroes insist that the treasure need to be shared with all the museums of the entire world. It belongs to everyone, though they do get a 1% finder's fee, but Riley insists that they should have taken the original 10% they were offered. Uh, With their cut, we see that Benjamin and Abigail have bought a humble mansion of historical significance. The end. And Riley bought a car. And Riley bought a car, yeah. Bravo. Bravo. Well done. That's such a fun, fun movie. It is fun. And that's the thing. Like, uh, I think there is value in taking works of art, like, on the merit of what they're trying to do. This is trying to have fun. And I think it achieves that. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. I listened to the West Wing Weekly podcast. And recently, one of the co-hosts said that they've been called out because they, they nitpick some minor government things that it gets wrong. Like, when the husband of a uh, member of the House of Representatives die like she dies and he casts the vote like that there's nothing like that at all (laughs) you know that is a complete invention and they they, they nitpick about that that sort of thing but then one of them had casually said i love the office and someone wrote in it's like well no one in the office acts like an actual office but you nitpick when someone something's not right in the government in the west wing and they said but the office is like operating on a very different level than what the west wing is like their goals are different and what they're trying Mm -hmm. to accomplish and you can love what the office is farcical, you know, uh, exaggeration of reality and love West Wing as a more realistic portrayal sure. uh, of government and enjoy both, but you got to accept them on what terms they're trying to trying to do things. And I think this film absolutely succeeds for what it's trying to do. Awesome. I just have to say about treasure hunting, I was driving in the car today listening to the news. Have you heard about this millionaire that buried treasure in the Rocky Mountains? Yeah, I read about this today. Okay. I, I've known about this for a while. Okay, and he, and he left like a like a, a poem, a poem a with poem clues, clues, and he's like, I, I think it's supposed to lead to like two more sets of clues, and then the treasure. And two people have died looking for the treasure in they, the Rocky Mountains because it's either in the Rocky Mountains or like the deserts of New Mexico, and they die of dehydration. The, the, like, but like yeah. people are trying, people yeah. Are trying. But, but authorities have said, can you please stop this? Can you take the treasure away and say it's not there anymore? Because two there are two people who have died hunting for this. And treasure. he said, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, they're like interviewing him, saying, "Hey, uh, so can you give us a clue or something?" And he's like, "Nope, the clues are there. <laughs> Somebody will find it. It's like two two million dollars worth of." Really, like study his life to understand what he needs by these clues. Well, I think the yeah. clue was left in his autobiography. So yeah, it's fascinating. Oh, maybe there's yeah. some cipher clues in his autobiography. If you go take right. the first letter of every third paragraph. If Benjamin Franklin yeah. Gates were around, he'd have he'd be. He'd be sitting on the treasure right now. Yeah. And he'd be sharing it with us and everyone else in the world. And with Abigail. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Cairo Museum, the museum in, uh, in London. Well, we're almost getting Go off ahead, of nitpicking. Can I, can I nitpick two things? 
please. Oh, I have some other nuts. Right, I've, got a, I've, got, okay. I've, I've got I've got one or two. I don't think we're done. Oh with yeah, well, I, I have I have I have more, but you know, I just I just wanted to bring those up. One is whenever uh, Ian is figuring out, he's like, oh, this has to be silence has to be a name because it's capitalized. They used to capitalize like every noun back then. If you look at the Declaration of Independence, almost every noun is capitalized. <laughs> Um, and, and the other, yeah. the other one, and maybe only because I'm a, I'm a federal employee, but whenever you, whenever Abigail types in her password and it happens to be Valley Forge, there are so many things wrong with that. It's, it's less than 15 <laughs> characters. It's, it's, it's it words. Symbol, it, doesn't it doesn't have number. numbers. doesn't have symbols. Oh yeah. This, it was like, oh man, I would get in so much trouble. <laughs> yes, exactly. See, if, if she had- if she had just had something where it was like Valley Forge and then also like seven four seventeen seventy six, there's so many sevens in there. Yes. crazy. And you capitalize <laughs> the second L. You know, something yeah. Like that. Yeah, there's one shift. And an exclamation key. point oh, at the man, end because you're know, excited. Because <laughs> you love Valley Forge. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. I have a couple of questions about this. So um, one question is, they get the Declaration of Independence. They find that there's a message on the back of it. Why don't they just take it back and say, um, I know we shouldn't have taken the Declaration of Independence. But we just message. found a message on the back of the Declaration <laughs> of Independence. Can we please look into this? <laughs> I would think that the, the, the FBI would uh, maybe take them more seriously. Well, and they, they should be taking them more seriously because the one guy said, he's like, we did get a tip that someone was going to steal the yeah. Declaration of Independence. We didn't think it was credible. It's like, well, you think it's credible now? And yeah. If they come back and say, hey, we're the ones that gave the tip, and then we, okay, we did it. We did, like, we, we did, did it. it. <laughs> Sorry. Look, we were, we were right about why we were doing it. I don't, why keep running? Once you found that there's a message there. And then related to that, we have the dad. And the dad is, oh, the the Gates family, we're all a laughing stock, and it's, no tr- it's not true, there's no treasure, the, it's just a crazy thing. As soon as he comes back with the pipe that has a, mess- a secret message on it, <laughs> Do you think the dad would be on board? It, unless there had been a cycle of people getting more clues. Right, but this is the first time that yeah. anybody's ever had a clue. And, and that clue leads to another clue declaration. And the dad just keeps saying, uh, there's no treasure. Like, he, it's he, just one clue leads to the next really clue. He's really angry about it. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, well, there's no evidence that there have been clues leading to clues leading to clues. Yeah, there's only been one clue. really jaded yeah. about this, even though they just found the answer to the one clue. So maybe he's just like a little upset that he never found it. Which leads yeah, me because to what did he do for those 30 years? What did he do for those 30 years? What clues did he follow? Which leads me to my third thing, which is the secret lies with Charlotte. Yes. So do they put the pipe on the boat and then just hope? Is this boat like just perpetually floating around in the in the ocean? I think the boat had already been lost by the time he provided like the, the last living signer of the Declaration of Independence passed along that clue. Well, okay, well, Cuz it was no. what it was it was in 1812. No, there's there's be, wait, there's more to this that. because <laughs> I have it written down. It, it, it was were, were in 1832. Building well, But in what sequence were the founders making this these clues getting all laid out? Did they write the clue on the Declaration of Independence like like okay, so they, they made, must work back. So Trinity Church and they used the pipe there. Wait. Yes. <laughs> okay, you're right. Yeah. Or they they had a, a duplicate of the pipe maybe? Maybe, I think that the they are Masons. I, I, I think that the decla- that the, the the people that put this <laughs> they can, they can make this is the way that I understand. This is my head canon says this. They put together a, a list of clues, mm-hmm. and they make a pipe, 
and they say, we need to keep this pipe safe. We'll put it on a boat. We'll just float the boat around the world forever. And the, and the first clue will always be the secret lies with Charlotte. And you just have to find the boat. So they, and they it's there. did all of it at the same time. The whole thing the at the same time. like one year. Yep. And they're like, okay, now put the pipe on the boat. Put Captain the pipe on the boat. Captain, don't. Let anybody take the pipe. If something bad happens, you put the pipe in a bunch of gunpowder and you guard that barrel <laughs> with your life. Because it'll be safe. Yeah. It'll be safe in gunpowder. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> put it in the safest place you could possibly imagine a barrel of gunpowder. Yes. Gun that is where I battle, store all of my valuables. That's the key. That's literally the oh, key. The key. <laughs> <It really laughs> is but there is actually there is a back door. So maybe yeah. they had a separate set of clues that were led to the other. Yeah, maybe uh maybe yeah. A, a whole a, a whole separate there's a whole separate thing here of clues leading to the so, other back door. There was a, there should have been another family that like gets to train church is like, "Well, we're going through this grave. <laughs> you guys do what you want." Yeah. So, suppose now this new headcanon. Everything's set up. They put the key on the Charlotte it sets off, and the, uh, like three months they haven't heard anything. Do they start to get nervous at all? <laughs> like what? You, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at this treasure again. <laughs> I thought they were supposed to come back to port so we could just peek in. Yeah, <laughs> and make sure everything looks or, right. Or add to it in case they find yeah. one of the the, nope. the treasures of the Crusades. They can't get in. <laughs> well, they knew the secret, but the other back door. Yeah, yeah. You can't so, forget so the back they, door. They would have been okay. That's um, so funny. I, there's this whole elaborate thing, and then there's just this one door that goes straight down the staircase to the treasure. Like, and it's three feet to the right of the secret door. <laughs> like, it's, it's right it really is. It's in the exact same place. Um, again, again, so it's in like an again, it's in an ancient church in the catacombs where they break through, and when they come out, there's like a guy that works there looking at them really weird, just like in Last Crusade. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're oh, right. Oh, fifth. It's as though this film. Borrowed <laughs> concepts from yeah, amazing yeah, just weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, so, so my, I mean, I I don't know if I want to call them my prime nits to pick, but uh, I did a little research on the history of the copies of the Declaration of Independence, and I guess this is as good a copy for them to to have put the map on as any. But there's a few copies, like it gets a little sure. iffy. But this was a special. Like, this was a special copy, but also, it is not nearly as legible as it seems to be in this film. Like, he goes to the no. archive and he, like, reads a line from it. Like, it's terribly faded. <laughs> from from all the images I saw online, it's like, oh, that's practically illegible, except for, like, yeah. in Congress at the top. Um, and, and it's, I do yeah. not know how it would hold up to the, the folding, unfolding, rolling, unfurling <laughs> that it goes through. Um, that is some old parchment throughout, throughout everything. But no, I thought the same thing. I'm like, I know, I knew there were multiple copies. So was this? So okay, so is there a secret is, cipher on the back of every copy? No. Okay, so I did the research. So well, maybe a copy has a back to is, the other door. There is a special. Why didn't they store the original one in gunpowder? The Declaration of Independence. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been much safer. Um, so I looked yeah. up, and there's a Wikipedia page on the physical copies of the Declaration of Independence, and it talks about um, a few draft copies. And then apparently the Holy Grail of American history, or, or as one historian called it, the Holy Grail of American freedom, is uh, what Thomas Jefferson wrote about as the fair copy, which is basically he made a, a full copy in his own hand after it was all agreed upon in Congress. This was on like July 2nd. He wrote his own copy. But I don't know where that is. Nobody and, knows where that is. No. Guys, I've got a plan. <laughs> um, Guys, I'm in. I'm in. Then, the, as, as, <laughs> 
as for like the full copies historically there was um a copy that was signed probably just by basically john hancock and thomas jefferson on maybe the fourth of july um which was like the the copy that was read and then the congress commissioned what was called um like the the matlack copy so so the matlack mm-hmm. guy from from in the movie that they talk about or it has another term, <laughs> and that's supposedly the one that we have in the archive, and that is the one that was later um, duplicated for the the presentation copies or the poster copies that you get at historical sites for way too much for a poster. That's best for thirty five dollars. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so the, that Matlack copy is the copy that you get um, facsimiles of. So, and that is the one that's really faded, and that would be the one in the archive, which is kept inside uh, the, the titanium case with argon, no oxygen, because yeah. it's it, it spent too long getting because of, of the gunpowder elements and everything. But then there was like like two hundred um, printed copies shortly after that. So if it's one of those, and there's like there's like twenty six known copies of those around, uh-huh. and it's a big deal every time they find one. Um, but those were sent all around the the colonies to say like here's here's the information from nice. Them, but, uh, wow. So it would be the Matlack copy is the one that they're stealing, which well was on parchment. And, and, well, somebody put together that Wikipedia page for me. <laughs> um, so we've been mocking this film for uh, not uh, not uh, being actually factual. <laughs> I can say that one thing that is actually really real is that the Declaration of Independence, one copy of the Declaration of Independence, is in the National Archives, and they do take really yeah. good care of it. And... Uh, I, I would I be remiss if I didn't password. mention my one story of the of the being in the National Archives. We went to uh, we went there on a on a trip. I went there with some friends. Uh, we were in high school, and uh, and one of my friends took a picture and accidentally had the flash had the flash on. Oh no! And he got in huge trouble <laughs> by oh. one of the guards. And they were telling him that like basically questioning his uh, spirit of patriotism because. <laughs> felt so bad because it was a total accident and they were telling him that he had like destroyed the declaration of independence by taking oh, it was it was very um it was very dramatic <laughs> real quick in the spirit of this film i'm gonna use a cipher and so that this friend's name who obviously has no patriotism that we don't want to ruin their, their right. reputation on this podcast are the initials km yes <laughs> <laughs> and they may or may not be serving in the armed forces today <laughs> So because they were because they were challenged like that. Pricked. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Pricked. <laughs> um, so I, I last year I, I got to be in Philadelphia. Nothing's as is as close as it no. seems to be no, in, no. in this. Like I walked from Reading Station Market to Independence Hall and it was hot and sweaty and difficult to. To, to do that and you weren't, walking. You weren't even wearing high heels. As you yes. Uh, she that, wasn't wearing high heels. She was wearing her nice uh, boots. Um, and, and so, like, all those historic sites in Philadelphia, that's a bit of a, 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 a get-around. Mm-hmm. Um, can I just note, uh, Nicolas Cage's run, real weird, right? Yeah. Like, like, it does not look efficient. He's no Tom Cruise. Or... Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's super slow, too. <laughs> like, his run doesn't look Show your face. (laughs) That was amazing. Um, The other thing, my last thing, I always thought it was really weird that when they were needing to uh, decode the back for the cipher, they needed some lemons, and they go into the fridge, and there's like a big bowl. (laughs) There's a lot of lemons in that house. But but then 
I, as an adult, have started drinking this morning drink that requires lemon juice. And so I actually have a lot of lemons in my fridge at any given time. Oh. So maybe it's not that crazy. Maybe he was just drinking some morning maybe, drink. Maybe I had a cleanse happening. Maybe <laughs> maybe yeah, Nicolas yeah. Cage had an injured knee like Richard Kimball in The Fugitive, and that's why his run yeah. is weird. It does, it, it does look like, and it, like, like the like, gate is so off. On his well, and I always thought it's like, like, Yet again, like Harrison Ford. Right. He just bought those clothes, so they should be right. Again, like Harrison Ford. There oh, you go. Another connection. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, when he, This when is he, the true conspiracy. When he, like, breaks into that rut, <laughs> passes by, I'm like, that rut, that's real bad. Like, I had the same thought. <laughs> yeah. Well, I say Tom Cruise. I'm thinking uh, Mission Impossible 3 running through the... Yeah. Uh, well, have you seen that there's montages of Tom Cruise running backwards? We'll have to put that in show notes. Because <laughs> yeah. people cut, like, he's got a, a, a de- multi-decade career of it's, running kind of oddly in films. Like, he does weird things with his hands. <laughs> Maybe we can find a... Like, uh, intensity, but it is many minutes of Tom Cruise running that you can get into YouTube. <laughs> Maybe we could maybe we could find a video of Nicolas Cage running and Tom Cruise running, and we could juxtapose them. I'm sure you could get a video of Nicolas Cage doing a lot of things. Uh, a super cut of several different things. I don't know what you think the internet is for, but this silliness just does not have a place. Yeah. <laughs> also, okay, right, Joe, but, great point, because oh, Google does exist in this world. And they could have just Googled like the silence do good letters <laughs> instead of actually going to see them. Yeah, the... I was surprised they had to go to the archives to, to find the letters. Or, or the, the Library of Congress yeah. to, to read yeah. out what the setup is for the Declaration of Well, it's 2004. The internet in 2004 was not what it is today. That is that's that's true. true. And it, it I don't remember been... what it was in 2004, but <laughs> that was <laughs> a few years ago. I remember in high school, so just pre-2000, I remember like wanted to check the jazz score so I would fire up ESPN.com and then go make breakfast and then come down <laughs> 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 and loaded the scores from last night's game yet. but that would have been like late 90s not 2004 but yeah. they did call him from an internet cafe later in the film yeah like Ian uses the internet he has yeah. uh, he has a maybe uh, that's not in the spirit he has of, a cellular like a radio that he plugs into his laptop so so maybe that's it's not the pure way to seek this treasure it's through the internet the pure uh, way is to do it sure, the founders sure. book learning only the penitent yeah. man may pass <laughs> uh, okay so do we uh, we should probably talk about um, Benjamin Gates yeah as a character yeah well I think it, as a character, it's interesting that most of the side characters around him seem to go through more of an arc than he does. Like, he begins the film oh, yeah. as an avid believer that, with our knowledge of American history, we can solve this mystery. And sure. he ends the film as saying, hey guys, I'll solve the mystery. <laughs> <laughs> um, whereas his dad has to go from jaded, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. cynical, uh, you know, man who's lost his faith in his family's mission to, hey, we're... We're onto something. My family, my ancestors weren't all crazy. Uh-huh. And Abigail Chase goes from by the book, at whatever her role is in the National Archives. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Director of security to uh, someone who who will jump from one moving vehicle to another moving vehicle and, <laughs> and uh, you know go go on this crazy adventure and you know starts by saying, hey, we, you got to return the Declaration of Independence to becoming the let's follow these clues and see what's next. So there seems to be like more of an arc for the characters around him. But again, you gotta accept this film on what you know what its premise is. And this, the Benjamin Gates is kind of in the mold of an Indiana Jones or a James Bond, where they're 
a character that goes on the adventure and it's about the adventure, not about the evolution yeah, yeah. of this character. Yeah. I like the scene at the beginning when he talks to his grandpa and he says, so we're like knights. And he says, yes, well, do you want me to knight you? And he's like, yes, I do. <laughs> we just, so often we see the heroes and the hero, the heroes and the hero's journey. Um, they're reluctant. And Luke Skywalker says, no, I have to stay here and fix moisture evaporators. And, and then his uncle and aunt die, and then he says, okay, fine, I'll go with you, Obi-Wan, or whatever it is. Uh, we see the reluctant hero, and in this case, it was like, no oh, reluctance. Yes. He's like, no. yes, I want to do this. This is my destiny, and uh, I'm happy to take this role. I feel like that is what Nicolas Cage says about every film that's offered to him. <laughs> I want to yes. do this. This is my destiny. Dude. I'm happy to take this role. <laughs> <laughs> Nicolas Cage, do you, do you, do you want to do this movie? Yes. <laughs> Have you guys watched like uh, the, on SNL the Andy Samberg impression of him? <laughs> no. Oh, it, basically everyone was – he pretended to be him on Weekend Update and it was called uh, In the Cage with Nicolas Cage. And oh, I he basically – he interviewed, he interviewed other actors about roles they were in and then it would always be like, and I have one question for you. Why am I not in this movie? And he would give reasons why he should be and it was always like there's free food. You get paid. There's a script. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like Nicolas Cage in this movie. I think that he, I love his earnestness. Yeah, uh, for sure. And his energy, I think, is good. And I think if we're talking about like when we pass the fun we've had pointing out some of the holes that exist within <laughs> this film, I think that's one of the best parts of it is his his earnestness that he as a character he doesn't need to evolve because he's at the place that we'd expect a character at the end to be of caring about American history. You know, like that's kind of, yeah. the best, you know, if, if you're going to find a theme in this film, yeah. that's one of the themes there. And he's there from the get go, you know, just an absolute love of history. And also the, the belief that history is what's going to guide us today. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to know those things. And I like that. And I love the, I, there's at least, I think at least two times when I think Abigail says to, to Ben, People don't talk like that anymore, or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's early on when he's in her office, and then later, towards the end of the film, she says the same thing. And is that before or after their very romantic kiss? <laughs> <In the end>. <laughs> <laughs> it's wait, where did they? It's kiss? what I would refer to as a Charlton Heston kiss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't remember if it's before or after the, Char- the the Charlton Heston kiss at the end of this, but um, I like that. Like, I like this. Uh, we talked about this at the very beginning, but I like this kind of earnest reverence for this stuff that underlies all of the crazy that's on top of it. He only doubts himself for like a second in the movie, and that's whenever they're in the second room that is empty as well, and he's... You know, he feels that, oh, I've come this far and now it's all wasted. But that also, like you said, gives an opportunity for his father to come around and have growth as a character as well. Right. What do you think about Abigail as a character? I'll just throw that to either of you. There isn't a lot of character building that's done with her. (laughs) (laughs) Um and this is not unique to National I I feel like the like the late nineties and the early two thousands there were a lot of female sidekicks roles on in these kinds of adventure films where they said, well, we're going we're gonna to have a, a prominent female character, and that's good. But then they forgot to 
add but to actually <laughs> like substance yeah it adds some substance to the character i'm i'm not sure because i haven't watched sahara as much as i've watched national treasure i think that's probably what penelope cruz ends up doing in that i think that's what she is in that uh, I, I feel like Kira Knightley mm. did some of that in the Pirates films, even though there were parts that were ostensibly really about her. Uh-huh. I don't know if they really put that much into her every time. I mean, in, in some ways, it's kind of like uh, with the... We just did a quick cast uh, for our patrons about the Wonder Woman film, and I think we made the point that you're not going to really learn who Steve Trevor as a character is based on Chris Pine's performance uh-huh. <laughs> and what mm-hmm. what is written into the film for him. Like, Steve Trevor's there, and he's not as... He, I mean, the movie's called Wonder Woman, so there's a lot more care that's built into building up Wonder Woman. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of, like, what could we identify as Abigail Chase's characteristics from what we get in this film? Each of you Historical passion. So, three will get That she's passionate. Yeah, historical passion. But, like, obsessive about history. Mm-hmm. I think she's smart. She is a PhD. Well, that doesn't mean anything. But is she smart? Yeah. <laughs> you and I both yeah. know that that's not. <laughs> or is she smart because she actually presents as, like, well, like, like, like confidently intelligent? We're told she's smart because we're told right from the very beginning, PhD. No, but she demonstrates that she's competent. She's smart. I mean, yeah. I don't think, I don't think, I would say the same thing about her that I would say about Steve Trevor in the Wonder Woman film, which is, I don't think she's a doofus. No. Yeah. And no. Um, I, I, she's certainly a step up from, like, a, a, a long step up from like just eye candy or, or the, decoration or in this James film. Bond. She's, yeah. she's not necessarily a damsel. Or like any James Bond female role. Yeah. No, I don't think she is. And she yeah. does get kind of swept into this. She doesn't have a lot of agency at the beginning, but she decides to go on this journey with him. And she does. Mm-hmm. She's the one that's responsible for the sequence of events that gets him out of the FBI. Right? Yeah. yeah. So. So she does take control when as much control as she's able to. She has some. She has a, 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 no small amount of agency in this film. I mean, I she's that. certainly not like the main character, and she's not driving everything. But when she has a chance, she makes decisions and moves the thing forward. Mm-hmm. I th- I think she's a good character. I, I'm. She's yeah. not like the greatest female character of all time. Yeah. But I yeah. I like her in this film. I think, yeah, I, like I don't. I don't think she's a bad character. There's still kind of a thinness to, to what we are presented. Though. Sure, it like, could be better. Do we do we know why she's passionate about history? We know why Benjamin Gates is bad, or uh, sure. Benjamin Franklin. Uh, it's Gates, right? At the end, <laughs> Benjamin Gates. Yes, Benjamin Franklin Gates. About history, we don't really know why she's passionate about history. Just remember that he runs with a strange gait. There we go. Benjamin Gates. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we don't know. We don't know really about her past. She is you know uh, Baron von Steubing's great, 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 great grandniece. <laughs> oh my gosh. I like the headcanon you're building. With a right to bear arms. Thank you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Sean Bean. Who wants us to talk about Sean Bean? I think he's amazing. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I've just been listening to Lord of the Rings Minute where they're talking about Boromir's death. Oh, I was on that week. Oh. Uh, Boromir's death? Yeah, that was my week. Yeah. Maybe I haven't got to you yet. Yeah, they, they, there's a lot of lead-up to Boromir's death that they were, they were covering. <laughs> uh, Boromir's, Boromir's getting shot to pieces. That's where I... Oh, no. Oh, right. I was right before that. I was I was just before the... Oh, okay. I, right. I was in the Frodo exchange. Ah, all right. Okay. Yeah, but... Uh, I think I skipped your... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> um, I just... Sean Bean is... Uh, I don't know. Guy could read the phone book. 
Yeah, he definitely I elevates would watch. whatever the role is that he's in. He, it's going to be a little better because he's in that role. Yeah. And again, yeah. like I don't know that Ian Howe is the most well-fleshed-out villain role in the history of cinema by any stretch of the imagination, but it's better than it could have been because Sean Bean is playing him. We don't know anything about him except that he's rich and greedy. And greedy. But you, we don't know why. You'd think those two could cancel each other out some, but I guess the history of the world says no. No, those two things <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> do not cancel each other out. <laughs> no, they, no, they do not. Uh, but I just I love his performance from the very beginning when I see him in this film. It's like, I, I don't, have you ever met somebody that when you when you see them, you just know that everything's okay? And when I see Sean Bean in a film, I'm like, okay, everything's okay. He's here. <laughs> it's a, It's going to be all right. <laughs> He might not be all right at the end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he no, almost, he, he will certainly will not. not. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't understand that joke, Sean Bean is famous for being first death scenes in, in Hollywood. And uh, just as we said, there's m- multiple minute long supercuts of Tom Cruise running. There are massive supercuts of all of Sean Bean's death scenes. And I don't know how long those must be because he's been killed a lot in a lot of things. Mm. I will say with Riley Poole. Uh, Riley? Yeah, growing up, I I very much enjoy, I very much enjoyed his character. Um, I feel like it was kind of, and then maybe this is just built in my head, but it was kind of the beginning of the snarky tech side character um, in a lot of movies. But then watching it again uh, the other evening, it was like, oh, he's not quite as funny as I remember. Well, I think the moments when he is funny, like they land, they still land well, but it's not as constant as I thought it was gonna be either. Yeah, I, I think I remembered like him he, as like uh, a constant banter. Room. Yeah, I, I, I kind of remember him as like the constant quips, like mm-hmm. just never ending. But it was more judicious than that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I um, I like him. I, I like how they use him as uh, a vehicle for exposition. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I think it works pretty well. I and it gives them an opportunity to explain things. And I love it when he has the chance to explain things to them. Oh, oh that was the best. Like that was all the time. I love that scene. I love that scene in the store when he realizes that he knows something that they don't know. <laughs> that and the uh, the scene in the treasure room when he, when they're all like naming everything specifically is like and he's just like oh look here's a greenish bluish statue of a man with so. a strange goatee. Then <laughs> <laughs> he hugs him. And he's like I bet you're significant. Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, I like him, and oh, I, think I do too. He just adds, like, yeah, I, I it doesn't. He doesn't ever bother me in this film. I'm happy that he's there. I think he's the perfect foil, and but he also does provide, like you said, Todd, that narrative function of we're going to explain things for the audience, but really, you know, I'm explaining it to you, but it's for the audience that's watching. But it makes sense that they would explain it to him. Mm-hmm. That's true. Sometimes it's in, diegetic. When this is done poorly, you see people explaining things. You see people explaining things to other people who would who already know those. Would already know those things. Where like if if uh, Ben and Abigail were having one of these conversations and they kept explaining, like Ben's just mansplaining <laughs> to her <laughs> the history of the Declaration of Independence. She's like, "Yeah, I work at the National Honor Class." <laughs> but like we laugh about that idea. But there are movies that have that. Oh, like, absolutely. Essentially, that scene happening. Yeah. And he he has the expertise in an area they don't. So he does all their tech stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and so he has a role, uh, but he allows them to give voice to some of the information the audience may be lacking. Because it turns out not everyone in America is, obs- is obs- as obsessed with history as Benjamin Gates is. Or Abigail Chase. Or Abigail okay. Chase, yeah. There's one line that, we, you know, we get the multiple layers because we're about to have 
the heist of the Declaration of Independence. And, and with the heist film, whenever you're rooting for the people who are doing the heist, you have to establish, like, the guy they're stealing from is, is a bad guy. Or, in this case, like, there's a, a good reason for them to do the heist is to protect something from bad guys. And I always love, like, the logic that we're presented in heist films to be able to root for the crime. It's Except that that logic sure. doesn't hold up in this No, film. not at all. Stop, Todd. We're not thinking about it. <laughs> um, As I already pointed out, they should have just taken it back. But he, but, but he gives the toast about um, the founders, and he says, here's to the men who did what was considered wrong in order to do what they considered right. And, yes. you know, he's, he's talking about what he's just about to do. But I always love... Uh, when we, we, like, pause to acknowledge, like, sometimes our heroes in history, like, depending on what side you're looking at, <laughs> maybe weren't as heroic. Um, but he's saying, like, they had the higher moral good. And I think just in general, our discussion of American history, we tend to swing on a pendulum of, like, lionizing and making the Founding Fathers, like, demigods. And then swinging and saying, no, they're just so flawed, we shouldn't even sure. praise them. Yeah. And this was definitely more on the, like, the Founding Fathers were so amazing. Uh, but I think, like, they're not... That, even that brief acknowledgement that most people would consider what they were doing was wrong maybe says there's more nuance here that, that mm-hmm. could be sussed out. This film doesn't do the work of sussing it out, but it gives a nod, <laughs> a nod to that existence. Um, and I like the idea that like these were flawed men who did amazing things, mm-hmm. and that's probably the best way to think about it. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it's a nice nod mm-hmm. to yeah. the risk that was involved in the whole the whole undertaking. I like it. Yeah, I, I enjoy the ben, movie. Do you have any final thoughts about the film? I I, I enjoy the movie. Uh, I had a good time watching it again. I went and saw the second one in the theater, even having seen the first one in the theater. Um, you know, as like I said, I was a history major. Uh, did one of my comprehensive exams in grad school on American history. Still enjoy this movie so much. <laughs> it's funny. It's not like, and because of that, I love this yeah. movie. It's in, in, spite, in spite of, of that, I still love this movie. <laughs> Well, and again, just take this movie for what it is. It is a well-made, family-friendly adventure film. Absolutely. Which I think that family-friendly niche has been missing for about a decade in yeah. Hollywood. Like, like, I can't think of another film that quite does this. Like, Everything is either animated in G or it's PG-13 superhero-level violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was filling a spot that I think there could be room for another movie to come along and make almost $200 million. And a lot of people scratch their heads and say, well, how did that film do it if you just... Aim for this market. That is something you know with a lot of broader appeal, and but innocent enough that the kid you you can bring the kids and enjoy an adventure sure. film with them. Cool. All right, uh, Ben, you are a first time guest, and yeah. we always ask our first time guests because this podcast focuses on great characters and great stories. If you could have a dinner party with three to five fictional characters just to enjoy the conversation that would take place, what characters would you want to invite over? Okay, so. My first answer is going to be really sad because my first thought was Benjamin Franklin. And then I remembered, oh, wait, he's real. Um, so after that, <laughs> you could say Benjamin Franklin in 1776. Yeah, exactly. Or, that's not exactly <laughs> Or you could say Benjamin Franklin Gates. Well, aside from I assume he's just going to be there. Um, but I, I would probably go with uh, and there's going to be a theme to this. I would probably go with Hermione. Uh, Hermione Granger from Harry Potter, largely because she really paid attention in school and she could oh, tell me, she could tell me all about <laughs> magical histories and I would be fascinated kind of the same way I might go with Yoda. Cause he could pretty much tell me the history of the galaxy and that'd be pretty awesome. And then because I think it would be, uh, some good comic relief to this otherwise very, uh, 
stale conversation at times. I would go with Morph from the Exiles because he doesn't seem to take anything seriously, and I think that would be uh, a nice, uh, a nice uh, conversation between uh, all four of us. Nice. Do you think Hermione and Yoda would get along? I think it would depend what age Yoda. If it was Yoda from the prequels. I don't think that I think that she would enjoy him more if it if it was Yoda from the original Star Wars film. She might get frustrated with him. That's what I was wondering. I can see you're just getting angry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just give me a straight answer. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Clone Wars lately, and I have to say that my my opinion of Yoda is really changed <laughs> since pro or con. Well. Con. <laughs> is he not a great general in the Clone Wars? <laughs> um, he just you just see how flawed the Jedi are and how blind they are to what's going on and how many poor choices they make. Mm. <laughs> and uh it it just change it, it changes. I li- I think that the whole the whole saga is better because of what we get in Clone Wars, but it Yoda doesn't come out of that looking like, oh, he's so awesome and he always knows what's right. He never, he just is always a step behind. But I like him disappointing. Still a great character. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, well, Ben, thank you for joining us. The reason I had you on for this is actually because last 4th of July, you put on Facebook something about watching National Treasure as is your annual tradition. I think you're being tongue-in-cheek, but I was like, oh, next 4th of July, we should do National Treasure. And right then and there, I think I sent you a message saying next year we'll be on the protagonist podcast. Yes, and <laughs> I said... National Treasure. I said I absolutely will be, before. and then I said it's kind of sad that a Nicolas Cage movie is the first time I'm on. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it's sad that it's taken us 133 episodes That's to get to Nicolas Cage. very true. Very true. <laughs> You'd think just by the sheer number, we would have run into it before now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, if you could pick one Nicolas Cage film that you think you would have done before now... I want. I want to hear what Todd and Joe each think because I know the one I would. I would have. Or, or Ben, if you yeah. like, knowing the premise of our podcast, what Nicholas Cage film do you think we should have covered previously or should cover next? Uh, I can tell you mine right now. I, I would say. I would say. Moonstruck. That's d- what I was going to say. Moonstruck. I would say, despite the fact that this is but a not to talk about Nicholas Cage. Let's talk about Cher. This. <laughs> uh, this is. A, I know this is a family friendly podcast, um, and the movie is rated R. However. Uh, I think his character in The Rock and the character arc that he has is actually pretty decent. I am drawing a huge blank right now. <laughs> Nicholas uh, Cage. Nicholas Cage, Cage Nicholas, films. Listen, Nicholas Cage films. Do you know how long that list? I know it's going to be very long. I just am. Uh, uh, Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider Two, Spirit of Vengeance. Family Man. You know what? Family Man is I very good. With say Taylor that I have not seen nearly as many. That's the uh, the Christmas one. Yes. Right? Um, you know what's a cool Nicholas Cage film? Matchstick Men. Have you guys yeah. seen Mastic Men? Yeah, it's good. No, no, but it was. I just saw it on like my my guide was up, and I was like, "Oh, Mastic Men!" I remember when that came out. I wanted to see it. And I never did. It's a really cool neo noir film, and uh, I liked it. I I would love to talk about Mastic Men sometimes. A very eclectic career. I, yes, and he was almost famously Superman yeah. for the Tim Burton Superman film that almost wow. was made. He named his son Kal El. Really? There are it was uh, real close. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, Nicholas what? Cage, Nicholas, uh, he has a son named Cal L. Are we doing real no, that's trivia real. now? No, that's, that's absolutely real. Do you know why his last name's Cage? Because his, his, his dad's Cop- name is Cage? No, no. His, his name's actually Coppola, but he didn't want to get by his career on his last name, so he switched it because of Luke Cage. He's that big of a comics guy. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he owned a copy of Action Comics number one. 
but it got stolen, and then he sold his, his most valuable comics because he said, I shouldn't own one single object that can lose me a million dollars if someone steals it. <laughs> wow. Okay, I knew nothing. I knew none of this about Nicholas. He also <laughs> owns, I believe... A T-Rex. A Tyrannosaurus Rex head fossil. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Are you serious? Yeah. He's, he's an interesting guy. He... Before... I cannot... I can't tell real <laughs> trivia from fake <laughs> trivia today. These are all real about Nicholas Cage. When, uh... For the for the Ghost Rider film, he like went to them. and He said, "I'm gonna play Ghost Rider," and they're like, "Okay, well, like we'll get you in for, for an audition." He said, "No," and he lifted up his sleeve to show his Ghost Rider tattoo. He said, "I'm going to play Ghost Rider." Oh my gosh! I already have this tattoo. I am the biggest comic books fan you're gonna find in Hollywood. I feel like this need, I feel like this needs to be a new game. Nicholas Cage. Trivia. Trivia. Fact, factor fiction. Yeah, factor fiction. <laughs> the National Treasure, would, you know, yeah, National Treasure style. We're going <laughs> to sprinkle in real facts with absurdities. And separate. <laughs> I feel like there would be no way to know. That's amazing. <laughs> I think everything we've said about him that we've like purported as a fact is a fact. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, Max Sixman is a cool film, and I would be happy to talk about it anytime. Yeah. All right, uh, Ben, thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys. I really had a good time. Thank you, thank you. And I, one more shout out to your trivia about the right to bear arms. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was amazing. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Uh, it could have either been amazing or really, really sad. No, it was no, really good. Definitely on the amazing side. Uh, yeah, if we ever put together a highlight reel of best moments of protagonist podcasts, that is my number one with the bullet. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, we will have, uh, maybe we'll do a special episode sometime playing sort of this Nicolas Cage game, like real trivia and fake trivia from oh. various Hollywood or uh, celebrity, you know, th- things associated with storytelling. Oh <laughs> Fantastic. I feel like we sh- I feel like Tasha would have to be the one to judge what's real and what's fake. Just for special reaction right now. Okay. <laughs> I'd be happy to judge. That would spare me the, 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 angst, of the angst of having to write them. Okay, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen to podcasts, and please leave us a review. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, uh, just a note about our back catalog. We switched up our format a bit at episode 13, so our first dozen episodes are a bit meandering in terms of discussion and length. Links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, and at Jaderowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. Uh, we have great conversations there with our listeners and would love for you to say hello anytime. Ben, is there a way that our listeners can reach out to you on social media? Uh, I have Twitter. Uh, I never use it. So no, not really. Sorry. Okay. Fair enough. But uh, as you said earlier, you, uh, listeners, you can go check out the Journal of Popular Culture. Ben and I worked in uh, as grad assistants at that, that academic journal. We support all of the publications there. And we are blind reviewers there. Yes. Yeah, we've rejected and accepted various publications. (laughs) (laughs) To buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation, you can go to patreon.com slash protagonist. All supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back again next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long.
All right, hold on. Our internet was so like we, we have no idea. <laughs> it was like a Frankenstein we, we, weird yeah. sound just came through. I'm like your words that, were chopped and rearranged. Wow. I'm hoping that all the recording is solid, but uh, 